We're a quieter group tonight, since many people are caught up in the frenzy of the, the basketball game. That was part of my reason for beginning the evening instructions by reminding ourselves, reminding you, reminding myself that... Um, that where the, the relief in our hearts, where the happiness that we so long for really lies is in our connection with nature, with our, with our own nature. And even though basketball games, and I love them, baseball games, there was just a no-hitter this evening for those of you who are interested. Even though these things are incredibly fun and are uh, temporarily happy-making, they are not really our medicine, our deepest medicine. And I really consider what we do here, in spite of it being in the heart of San Francisco, I consider what we're doing is going back to nature. This is a back to nature practice. And that not just, we don't just go into nature, we are nature. We experience nature as it expresses itself in our body by feeling the, the earth element, the air element, the fire element, the water element. We sense space. You know, all the elements that we find when we go to the forest can be found nearer than our breath, right here. And so easy to, to be, we can spend the week, the month, the year waiting till we can get to the beach or get to the park or get to the mountains or the desert or our vacation. But really, our nature is literally a... It's not even a split second or half breath away. We're never apart from it. However, our attention leaves it. And we have, from perhaps beginningless time, we have gone out of ourselves in search. We've gone into our imagination. And we've gone into, um, we've gone into the world of of distraction. And that's also very human, very innocent, because it's for most of us, because being in nature requires that we accommodate not just the, the beautiful, quiet rhythms of nature, but the stormy weather of nature, the stormy weather as it expresses itself in our mind and body. And most of us as all the wisdom traditions suggest, most of us have very untrained attention, untrained minds. And we have not been able to accommodate and metabolize, flow with the whole range of intense weather that has flown th flowed through our lives. 
the, the countless times where we were judged or criticized, attacked, blamed, uh, told that we should be different than the way we are. Our body and mind has reacted to this. This is part of our weather. And unless we are able to, to, uh, to yield and to feel the flow of everything that comes to us in our lives, our mind reacts in a, a state of liking and disliking and then it shoots off into connected thoughts and trains and, and uh, chains of delusion where we start living in, uh, uh, in an infusion of, of commentary and live in imagined worlds that don't even really exist. And in that process, if one does this over and over again, all because we couldn't accommodate our nature. If one does this over and over again, we lose contact. We become disembodied, cut off from the flow of life, think that, walk around feeling that there's something wrong, something wrong with me, that I'm the one, uh, that I've gotten separated from, from my essence, I've, gotten, I've got to find my way back, forgetting that we're... As one of my teachers said, we are neck deep in grace, already immersed in the very thing that we're searching for, but our minds have gone elsewhere. And the more disconnected I feel from nature, you feel from nature, and tell me if you have a different experience, the more you think that according to um, what you see others doing, what you hear others suggest you should do, and the more you start feeling the pressure, the maniacal pressure of thinking you should have more money, you should have a better relationship, you should have a better body, you should have better skin, you should have, wait, what, any others? You should have better, better job, you should have a better education. And we start to walk around with a kind of shame if we aren't meeting some kind of uh, ideal, impossible ideal. And then the, the pressure builds and builds. And what happens when the pressure builds? The weather of nature is too much to handle. And off again we go into flights of, of fantasy and then feel so much self-judgment, so much shame, so much... Uh, so much unhappiness because then I'm the one who's not getting it. And then we may look at people who are frolicking in the afterglow of the giant's no-hitter, the, the no-hitter, or the glow of this or the glow of that, and those who have found some kind of temporary relief from the distress of of, of this maniacal self-talk, this judging mind, uh, and we'll say, oh, they've got it, I don't, why am I... And then we're judging about the judging, about the judging, and finally the judging mind compounds, and what happens when the judging mind compounds? Our bodies freeze. We literally go into a state of overwhelm, and, uh, and then have a chronic sense of doubt, self-doubt, doubt that I will ever find my way out of this. 
and it's amazing on one hand that as we talk about so often here on Tuesday all of this takes place invisibly in our imagination of course it doesn't it is visible as our hearts contract our bodies shrink uh, we, the light begins to dim from our eyes but this is a this is the result of the, the mental events that we that we live in this is why the the practice is both reconnecting with nature reconnecting with our intrinsic beauty that is uh, is that we are right here the, the miracle the awesomeness that we are just as we are before anyone can tell you otherwise it's something we feel when we just come to the to the single point of you immersed in life right where life is hitting you and the simple moments of 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 steadiness or presence mindfulness stillness whatever it is that you're that you do to consciously mindfully orient yourself to the simple reality of the present moment even if it includes difficult weather if you can just come to that simple point it becomes quite difficult to find the one who is not good enough not okay worthy of judgment that one who you imagine yourself to be melts into nature and you feel yourself again and the light comes back into your eyes not because you became you met all of your impossible ideals that have been tormenting you but you just touched a moment of your ideal of peace not by doing anything but by undoing the the chronic judgment about what you need to do in other words you just stopped you just remembered that you not only are need to get back to nature that you are nature that's why David Wagner in his poem I think it's called stand still the trees before you and the bushes beside you are not lost wherever you are is a place called here and you must treat it as a powerful stranger must ask permission to know it and be known the forest breathes listen it answers i have made this place around you if you leave it you may come back again and say saying here no two trees are the same to raven no two branches the same to wren if what a tree or a bush is lost on you you are surely lost stand still 
The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Now, he may mean the literal forest, but we, for our purposes tonight, this forest is a metaphor for your own nature. You are individually a unique tree in the forest of humanity. And the trees are not in the forest are not busy comparing themselves to one another. They're not saying, I wish I was as tall as you, or I wish I was as pretty as you, or I wish I was as... They're just being themselves. So half of our practice is connecting with, with our nature, which is just, you could say it's no nature, it's just being conscious. And then feeling the, and using as our, our anchor, as our, as our doorway to this pure, primordial awareness, using as our doorway the elements of earth, air, fire, water as they exist on our body. That's half of our practices, coming to this single point. The other half of our practice is noticing, or not just coming to that single point, learning how to accommodate the weather of the present moment. The weather, the emotional weather, the physical weather, learning how to accommodate the inevitable waves of pleasure, pain, gain and loss, praise and blame. Did I say that twice? Whatever. Just the inevitable polarities of life. And if if you're one of us, you have these. And if you don't, you're not one of us. (laughs) And if you're a human, the cure for your distress is in the distress. It's learning how to accommodate it. If you want to be at home, you cannot keep running from silence, running from stillness. As Rumi says, your old life was an endless running from silence. He ends it by saying, the speechless full moon comes out now. When you stop running, the speechless full moon comes out now. What does he mean by that? It means when you step out of the... Of the, of the if you just feel your life, you step out of the... Of the Uh, defining of yourself through the thought worlds that are created in your mind life is very simple every moment is simple there is seeing, there is hearing there is smelling, there is tasting there is field of sensations and there is there are thoughts and images they are just as they are our life in its in reality is not as complicated as our maniacal mind can make it from jesus <laughs> jesus saw children who were being suckled 
He said to his disciples, These children who are being suckled are like those who enter the kingdom. They said to him, Shall we then, being children, enter the kingdom? Jesus said to them, When you make the two one, and when you make the inner as the outer, the outer as the inner, and the above as the below, when you make the male and the female female into a single one, so that the male will not be male, the female will not be female, when you make eyes in the place of an eye, the hand in the place of a hand, and a foot in the place of the foot, an image in the place of an image, you shall enter the kingdom. Which means all of your concepts collapse into the simple, speechless form of Here's the way the Buddha put it. Bahia, in his song to in his instructions to Bahia, you should train yourself with respect to the scene, though there will be just the scene. With respect to the herd, there will merely be the herd. Respect to the sense, just merely sensed. Respect to the cognized, just merely cognized. So should you, Bahia, train yourself. When for you, Bahia, with respect to the scene, there's just the scene. The respect to the heard, just what's heard. Respect to the sense, just what's sensed. With respect to the cognized, just what's cognized. Then you, Bahia, will not be therewith. When you, Bahia, are not therewith, then Bahia, you will not be therein. When you, Bahia, are not therein, then you, Bahia, will be neither here nor there. Additionally, nor additionally in both. This alone is the end of suffering. They're just basically saying, stay where you are. Don't move. (laughs) I don't mean physically. Don't let your mind move from this vital spot of life just as it is and you'll know the cessation of suffering. So that's part of our process. Part of our practice is to get to know this single point. And eventually we want to even get to the point where we see the equality of all the different thoughts that flow through our mind, that they are just the display of the unfolding present. But as we develop First, we have to be able to recognize what it is that's going through our our minds, what we are saying to ourselves. All day long, that judging mind that I just spoke about, all that pressure to be different, all that evaluation, that measuring, am I making it, am I not making it, am I good, am I better, am I best, we need to notice that. We need to notice the judging mind judging. Make a shift from being just believing every little story that our mind tells to notice, oh, that is the judging mind judging. And even if we, even for a while, if we think that, and this is just another judgment, that we are the most judgmental person that we know. Any of you ever have that thought? Eventually, you'll see that 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 judgment is just another judgment. 
And by the time you see the thousandth judgment come all by itself, flow through your consciousness, you'll be laughing. Because you will have made a shift from believing and living out of those judgments to just noticing the judging mind judging. And when I present this kind of ideal of liberation from the judging mind, I don't mean liberation from having judgments. The judging mind will, will judge. It's what it does. It divides. It makes two. It otherizes. It, it, it measures. But liberation from the judging mind means that you, that you are able to see it for what it is. But then the more subtle kind of judging mind shows up. It can be the judging mind that uh, now I am getting liberated from judging. And because our mind has a, also a, a very slippery, clever way of creating an identity around anything, even whether we're, we think we're the most judgmental or the worst person or the best person or, the, or not good enough at this or not good enough at that, we also do that around spiritual matters. I'm the most spiritual. I'm into spiritual things and you're not. That's not really so subtle. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> but, but one of the bigger issues is that our judging mind that often relates to, to more conventional or worldly matters of measuring up to all the cultural ideals gets transferred into our spiritual practice. And their spiritual ideals are so beautiful, they're uplifting. They are it, it, the possibility of a mind that is uh, unfettered by, by hindrances, by defilements, a mind that is, that is uh, free of, um, of wanting anything to be different. A mind that is uh, suffused with light and love, a heart that is completely in balance, completely immersed in life right where it's touching us. And these ideals are beautiful, uh, an un, unimpeded compassion that goes in all directions toward whatever it is, whatever pain there is in the world, and just uh, has no limit. All these ideals are beautiful. But our judging mind, the judging mind, I wouldn't say ours, me, or mine, the judging mind, because of the habit of personalizing everything, of measuring everything, the judgmental mind starts putting enormous spiritual pressure on you, on us. And then I'm not compassionate enough my mind is not quiet enough. I'm not open-hearted enough. I'm not one-pointed enough. I'm not mindful enough. I'm not generous enough. I'm not patient enough. I'm too angry. I'm too... The... 
And pretty soon, the spiritual path becomes so heavy, like a meal that you ate where you overate and you're sorry you ever started. So we also have to wake up to this impossible spiritual pressure. This is just another version of the judging mind judging. We need to be able to not operate from this kind of internal pressure. And it's, it is the, this voice, in the, all the many flavors of this voice, are what torment people when they first come to practice. And it, it continues, but I will say that in my own experience of literally thousands and thousands of yogis, the judging mind is the most, uh, re- most reliably eases as a person practices. It gets softer and softer. And, and it's a beautiful thing to, to, to experience and to watch. As I've told many people, that I, I used to have a very uh, ruthless inner critic, just maniacal, really, just would hold me hostage for days if I didn't perform or didn't, uh, didn't uh, live up to my own ideals and standards. And I, at one point I saw that that judging mind was, was only just trying to hold up an ideal of what I thought would make me a happier, more um, peaceful person. But that ideal had become the tormentor. That ideal had become um, just an albatross. And yet I saw that it came, even that that drive that had made me so self-critical had uh, come out of, at least in some kind of twisted way, it had come out of, of love for myself. I thought that that's what I needed to do. To it was all trying to be happy. But I saw that the judging mind, only it only punishes. It only makes life, it only makes us feel like we're the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean, creating an, uh, a, a complete uh, distortion of reality and obscures the, that immersion in life that we actually are and that we actually can be, moment by moment. So I don't say throw out the ideals, all the spiritual ideals. They're beautiful. But to whatever degree you can see through the, or recognize or come out of living out of those, the judging mind and noticing it. And then... Use your ideals to practice a little bit at a time. Just be a little more patient, a little less angry, a little more mindful, a little more loving, a little more generous. As much generosity as you can do in a moment. As much kindness as you can do in a moment. How much kindness can you do in a moment? Because that's all we have. We don't have the last one, and we don't have the next one. We only have this one. So can I be the... Do I have to be the, the most fantastic, all at once, fantastic person? Most spiritual, most awakened person? Well, I can be as awake as I can. 
The first thing we have to notice is how much pressure we're putting on ourselves for our practice, for our life. And we can even put that pressure once we notice it, that that judging mind once we notice it, we can put it to good use. We can let it remind us that we just have to take care of this moment. We have to stand still enough and and as much as many seeds as we can plant in one moment, that's what we plant. I can be loving right now. It doesn't mean I'm going to be the most loving person in the world. I can be mindful right now sitting in this room. I can be still right now. That doesn't take any effort. Is there anything more anyone can do right this moment? Why are, we, why are we pressuring ourselves so much to do any more than we can do in a moment? It's insanity. You just have to pay attention to the little things. Just come out of the tangle for a few moments. Tangle of our of our, our craziness. A little bit here and a little bit there, a little bit at a time. And then maybe we'll notice, we'll notice a little more carefully, a little more carefully what happens, what's happening around us in, in our relationships with people. I'm going to read the story of the cookie thief. But if she, maybe if she was a little bit more a little bit more mindful, this whole little drama wouldn't have happened. Here it is, the cookie thief. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She, she hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She munched cookies and watched the clock. As this gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock, she was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. And when one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known what she had been when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane, sank in her seat, then sought her book with almost which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There, there was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his and he tried to share. 
Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. <laughs> I don't know, I just wanted to read that to you. <laughs> Just slow down a little bit. <laughs> Be a little less judgmental. Share a little. As I think there's two who's the wrote the wild geese? Uh, Mary Oliver. As Mary Oliver wrote in Wild Geese, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair yours and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes. Over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you, like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. So let's just sit quietly. Hearing the announcement of your place in the family of things. May all beings be free of the pressure of the judging mind. May all beings live with ease. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. And may our practice this evening and all evenings be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. And in the last moment, like everyone to offer many, many blessings to our dear Carrie, who's videoing right now, who has broken six ribs. And she is here because she wanted to make sure that the evening was taped. And so everyone shower carry with all the blessings of your practice whatever little amount of blessings you have it's enough may all beings be free
Thank you. Enjoy your nature. I'll be back in two weeks. Remember, Anushka is here next week, so take advantage of her presence. She's a terrific teacher.